podcast listeners of Lawfully Creative. Today we are spending an hour with Scott Houghton, who is the co-founder and chief operating officer of Investors Limited, based in London, a company which is at the center of the venture capital and seed investing community in the UK and in particular in London. So have a great listen to um, what Scott's got to say about this uh, particular booming sector of the UK economy. And I'll um, be back in touch with you at the end of this uh, podcast. I looked at your uh, profile online, as in particular on, on LinkedIn, and noticed that you were heavily in Wales uh, at the beginning of your life. You, were you born there? No, so I, I'm originally from Hertfordshire, which is just obviously north of London, about 20 miles north of London. But I went to Wales for university. So okay. I, was, uh, I studied at the University College of Wales in Aberystwyth which is a beautiful part of the world. Yeah. And then I stayed on in Aberystwyth and I did a, um, an MBA there. So, um, for, so I was there for four years. Yes, that's, that's, that's what I read. And so Hartford is in Hertfordshire from the high Hartford school. Hartford is in and, Hertfordshire. Yes, yeah, so correct. I'm not very good with <laughs> this geography because... I mean, Because you're French, exactly. Yeah. I'm French, but when I'm in the UK, I'm mostly in London. However... I like going to way on uh, way on high. Hay on why? Hay on why? Which is actually Indeed. which Sorry. is actually very close to Wales. Uh, well, it's in Wales. It's, well, it's in the border, I think. So part of it might be. Really? What, I think it's the, the I think it's England of, of with England and Wales. Well, you have to go after um, uh, Hereford. Yeah. Which I believe is in Wales. And no, Hereford isn't in Wales. It's in it's in England. Okay, fine. <laughs> and then and then you have to take a bus which brings you to Hay on Wye. Yeah. Uh, it last um, weekend was actually. You can drive to Hay on Wye as well. I did. <laughs> But it really just messed my my back, so I never did it again. Because right. I usually go every July for the for the festival, festival. Hey, hey, on wine festival. I, I love Indeed. going to yeah, the very nice, festival. Yeah. And also they had uh, they have every winter a winter uh, weekend, which was last weekend. But I didn't manage to go this year. So uh, fantastic. Jacket is actually coming from uh, the Hay on Y really? main shop. So is this the jacket that your your listeners can't see? Exactly, but uh, <laughs> but it, it looks very nice. It's Welsh uh, tweed. So <laughs> I love I love <laughs> Wales. So okay, so how is it actually? Is it is it like a, a pretty good uh, university? It's a fantastic university. Why? It's um well why because Rugby? there are fifty six pubs, <laughs> and there are just as many churches. In Aber, Aber- Aberystwyth, I think Aberystwyth. it's actually, it was certainly voted the, the best student life out of okay. all universities, right. and I think it still holds that sort of phenomenal title. But it's um, very good for sports if you spend It's very good for sports, club. very good for sports, very, very, very strong on rugby, as rugby you can imagine, being in Wales. <laughs> but I was a big rugby player and cricketer, and it's it's good for cricket as well. I saw it. These are some of, two of your hobbies, actually, watching yeah, cricket yeah. and playing cricket well, and watching rugby. Well, I used to be a very, very big sportsman, and so I used to play cricket uh, a lot and played... Uh, obviously, my dad's from Yorkshire, so it's in the blood to play cricket. Uh, so I brought up... was always played cricket all my life and played to a very strong club standard. I live five minutes far from Lord's Cricket Ground. I'm a member of the MCC. Oh, but so I've never been for a, for a game. Been well, you're French and probably not allowed. Um, 
And it would be too complicated to explain. I did explain. visit it. I visited it, you know. I yeah, it is beautiful. Visit, but it's beautiful. I never went for it again because I don't think it, I would uh, stand the whole... Well, it's a five-day test match. Exactly. No, it's not which, for me. Which is very hard for anybody to understand how it can last five days and still end in a draw. <laughs> so um, I, I won't even try to sort of... <laughs> Okay, so, that, yeah. so it was a good experience for Wales. Wales was fantastic, mm. and certainly it, it's, a, it's a brilliant university. Um, and then I stayed on to do an MBA, so yeah. that got me started in the business sort of world, I suppose. It's interesting you decided to do the MBA straight after ba- your bachelor's degree. Yeah, usually it is. Well, you say usually, but I did my MBA back in 1987. correct. So actually, before many people who listen to this podcast were actually... Um, obviously uh, conceived that sort of thing I'd imagine but so the MBA was actually quite a new uh, qualification in those times I mean with with hindsight certainly I would recommend people to do go and do a couple of years in industry and then do the MBA but at the time it was a it was a new qualification for the university so I decided to stay on I did, I, I did a rather similar thing than you in the sense that I finished my ma- for me it was a master's degree actually mm. uh, uh, in France and then I went straight to Bocconi um, Business School to do a oh. master's degree in finance and economics I yeah. graduated first in, in law and business law yeah. then finance and economics but when I was there at, at the master's degree for MEM it was called at the time from Zda Bocconi I noticed that most of my fellow uh, students who had actually already uh, five, three or four yeah. years of experience under yeah. the belt so I was like okay yeah. It was yeah. a challenging year for It me. is, yeah, no. I mean, with hindsight, it's better to do, you know, do, do some time in, in, in the commercial world and then, and then yeah. do MBA. But as I say, but back then, the, it was a new course. And in fairness, it, it stood me in good stead because I, I went on from that and then joined the graduate uh, training scheme at Mars Confectionery. So probably one of the best graduate schemes, you know, in the UK. Wonderful. But what about your experience in 86, 87, where you were contractor ah, so, for Milk Marketing Oh, board? You, you have done your homework. So, uh-huh. basically, as part of my MBA, ah. I had to work for a company cool. at the same time. So, I worked for the Milk Marketing Board, um, and I worked... Then, actually, it was all about two projects. One was uh, exporting from England and Wales to Italy... So looking milk. at milk, well, products. milk and other products and, and dairy products. And the other one was the launch of real ice cream because back oh. then ice cream was just, was, was, wasn't exactly, uh, you know, it, was, it, it wasn't the ice cream that we have now, the dairy ice cream. It was, it was more sort of with preservatives and all sorts of things. So they were looking at that point in time. What, you mean in the UK? In the UK, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Looking to bring in a higher quality of... You, you needed know, more a, Italians. It's more exactly. Exactly. Ice probably, cream. yeah, probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, indeed, I saw that you really had like a, 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 um, a um, an extensive uh, experience in the food manufacturing industry as a sales person, yeah. or as a marketing person, correct? Starting as I was, yeah. Say, so, so, so basically, uh, yeah. and then on, on and then Mars, Mars confectionery. Yeah. So I was at Mars for How I think about five years. So that's nineteen eighty eight to 92, four years, um, and I started off in, you know, basically part of the graduate training scheme, but I, I was in um, um, sales, so, you know, earned my sort of spurs, as it were, in, in, in sales, so this was territory sales, I was responsible for various sort of sales territories, certain customers like CTNs um, and then impulse retailers and then I sort of moved into new trade channels so I was responsible for getting 
confectionery into Wembley Stadium. And this is actually quite interesting because if you think of it, you think, well, why on earth wasn't Wembley Stadium stocking confectionery before? But the, the interesting thing is, is well, that... For supporters, yeah. but it's it's all about. It's cold out there when you. Well, you it's not only really cold, but it's sort of it, you know it, it, when you think about something like a trade channel, like like as, as a stadium, there's only a certain period of time that people the, the supporters can purchase items. So mm-hmm. obviously they would gladly buy Mars bars, yeah. you know, you know, before a game sure. in the interval. But obviously the stadium wanted to maximise that amount of spend and that time, so that so they weren't actually keen on stocking Mars bars because it meant. If somebody was spending at that point in time uh, 50 pence on a Mars bar, they wouldn't be spending three pounds on a burger. So basically, it yes. was really understanding those interesting points about uh, 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 that retail channel and was able to turn that round and actually introduce sharing confectionery. So large Maltesers, Maltesers, M&Ms. Uh, so and so on. So actually, they weren't in vending machines. They, they were in the very small kiosks. Oh, okay. And also, what's interesting, it was things like the how you actually paid because in those days you paid cash. Right. So, you know, things had to be certain price points, mm-hmm. and that those price points couldn't be then easily compared with the retail market, the normal retail market outside. So we we Probably produced higher. we ended up producing special large. Containers of of Maltesers and M and M's to sell into those sorts of outlets. So it was a really interesting place to cut your teeth in sales, really, sure. and also to adapt your offer to the, the needs of a, of this particular. It was market. all about listening to the to the to the you know to the customer there, yeah. listening to the needs they, of the buyer. Were they already doing the mega concerts that they now? They were doing yeah, they were doing the massive thing. concerts. Yeah, yeah, yeah they were at doing, the time, yeah. yes, yeah. already. Yeah. Okay, so, and, and then... You Actually, just also out of that, that, another really interesting claim to fame is yeah. I was involved in the, the launch of uh, Mars Ice Cream, and that wow. actually transformed the ice cream landscape in the UK, as we did it, because before that point, there were choc ices, which weren't proper chocolate, and they weren't proper ice cream, and then Mars came along with a premium, you know, ice cream uh, chocolate, and it just revolution, revolutionised... The ice cream market. So oh, that's that my claim to fame. That, that was in that was in that was about nineteen ninety, I should imagine. Right, yeah. yeah, and the, the ice cream market was still very much. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It well, it obviously was ice cream, but it was. A, they were called choc ices for a very good reason because they weren't. Oh. They weren't chocolate. They weren't proper ice cream. Oh, okay, and um, how was it working out of slow? Um, or do you say slough for slow? Because it uh, doesn't slough. sound really it's yeah. It doesn't sound really exotic. But no, like, oh, it's well, not. You were on the move a lot. It's not exotic. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, that, I mean, I mean, those days I was I was working from home uh, because I worked. Slough. I managed managed territories. So my first territory was northeast London, and then I okay. then in places in East Anglia and all sorts of places. So but you didn't have to be based in slough. No, you, you went to the office maybe. Twice, uh, twice a month, something like that. I wow, suppose. good on Mars to already yeah. be doing some sort of hot, hot yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like but it was field sales, so you know you were, you were expected not to, you know, be out in the field I on, see, on the road, as, as it were. Rob, I mean, my office was my car back in those days. <laughs> um, and then you moved on to uh, another uh, big food manufacturing company, and especially as also in consumer foods product, which at the time was called. Rank Hovis McDougall. Rank Hovis McDougall. So I just I, I, I recognise Hovis because yeah. the bread thing, the slice yeah. bread, the sliced bread, which I see in my t- local yeah. Tesco, 
but apparently they don't only do flowers. No, they do. They do many. It's a very British company. Okay. So basically, products like Paxo stuffing and Saxa salt and Bisto gravy, and uh, I think they did Robertson's jams back then. Oh. So a whole host of sort of uh, a Torah um, um, suet sort of products. L- lots Sorry, of what was it, a Torah? A, a Torah um, suet. So it's actually it's a brand. It's it's it, well it's it, it, it's it's what you make suet puddings from. Uh, it's a meat based product that you put into baking and so on. Dumplings. Being French, you probably you've never had the the delights of a suet pudding. <laughs> probably not. Um, okay, and I, I was wondering what attracted you to this. Food consumer sector. Um, I don't know. I think I think I think in those days. I mean, it's really interesting to sort of compare, you, you know, the eighties, as it were, to perhaps you know graduates going into work uh, now. Because because back in the eighties, you know, there weren't startups. It didn't exist. You know, the the career progression, the the advice you always received at at university careers was, why don't you become an accountant? Uh, and of course, nobody wanted to become an accountant. Um, and so then there were obviously what was called the milk round. So lots of big corporates would come and to each university and you know try to attract graduates. And then of course the reality was that you know what all graduates wanted was to get onto a graduate training scheme. And I was you know very oh, pleased for a multinational. Uh, I mean the aspiration was never to sort of get involved into entrepreneurship. It was really to join multinationals to get very well you know trained I mean I mean it seems very strange now because I see many many young graduates who have no aspiration whatsoever to join multinationals but there was also uh, like around 10-15 years after you there was another trend which is generation X which is my, my generation where actually graduates wanted to find positions in banks and in, in finance companies and yes. working on the stock market etc and that's what happened to yeah. me because I got yeah. recruited by yeah. Dressner, Kleiner, yeah. Benson, yeah. were on, on campus at Stabokoni oh, when wow. they were doing all their... Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, and so that was supposed to be the, uh, uh, the golden route uh, back then. Yeah. So I I've, I've put on hold my uh, lawyer program, like my oh, lawyer okay, well. yeah, becoming a yeah. fully qualified lawyer yeah. stuff, and instead I went working in the city of London two, two or three years as an M&A analyst. Oh, wow. Um, Okay, so thanks for explaining the context, which... Yeah, I mean, it's... In, it, your, in, in your time, after, after uh, um, university for you, it was like the great, the, great, the, yeah. the, the golden route, like the... Yeah, the, pretty the, much, the, yeah. La Voie Royale, as we say, in French, yeah. the royal route. Yeah. And now you're right, I think that um, it's really not attractive. Graduates are not interested in, in joining mega mm. <laughs> multinationals. And which I think is a shame, by the way. They I mean, want I, to be yeah. uh, Greta Thunberg... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Greta Thunberg, God. God, God help us, yeah, but anyway, yeah. Um, right, and, um, and you, you, you did have a brief stint in consumer healthcare. Uh, no, okay, so, so basically, so I was at, um, at the end of, uh, Rank Hovis at McDougall for, I can't remember how many years, but a number of years, probably. Three. Uh, was it three or four years, something like yeah, that? I, I come, but basically, then I, I then... Um, you know, so so I was moving up the the sales, you know, ladder as it were hierarchy. So I went from sort of territory sales into sort of sales management, and then into basically 
national sales management and, and major account management. So I joined um, then SmithKline Beecham as a national account sales manager. And that was the sort of products there initially I was responsible for were LucasAid and Ribena and Horlicks. Um, and my accounts were so f- sort of uh, not food products, but well, beverage, drinks. Beverages. You know, I mean, I mean, drinks. Yeah, okay. so so, so um, soft drinks and then Horlicks, not obviously. drugs, not drugs. Mm-hmm. Not, but it obviously it was part of the consumer health group. I mean, they did have at the time Aquafresh toothpaste and Panadol and, and you know other over-the-counter medicines. But they had a a, a drinks. Um, uh, division. division as well so that's the sort of more logical area that I slotted into and then and then I actually then got promoted into the broader group as a um, basically a, a channel manager so I had a team of national account managers reporting into me so then I had the the, the wonders of you know products like the toothpaste and the the paracetamols and the smoking cessation whatever so Certainly not fast-moving consumer goods, but, but still consumer goods, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great. And, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, for me, it's... Um, even if it's not sexy, as long as it sells, it, and it's a cash cow, because everybody will ever... Or we always need some toothpaste. I think this is this is, yeah. this is a great... Yeah, this is a great, good, a great um, uh, option as well. Yeah. Especially, yeah, in the 1990s, 2000, I mean... It, the, did we know, was that not sector where everyone was in recession or something? I, anyway, I, I think, uh, I think I, I, sometimes when the, t- yeah. the times are hard, it's, it's good to work uh, yeah. for cash cow products. Yeah. And then, so when did you start working in the startup scene so, and VC space? Okay, so, so, so basically, I was in that big multinational kind of FMCG world for about um, 15 years yeah. I guess all, always along that journey I was always a bit of a frustrated entrepreneur um, certainly really enjoyed my time at the likes of Mars Confectionery you know absolutely fantastic company is it, is it, isn't it American? well it's, it's the, the, the Mars brothers are American uh, but they is obviously Swiss? no there's no Swiss angle to it no oh, okay, so, so it's, 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 it's kind of American it's, 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 it's a family-owned business, so I guess you could say it's, it is American sort of owned, really. But it was it was started, you know, obviously it was launched into the UK in about the 1930s, I believe. Oh, that's it. Um, but, you know, I you know, met the Mars brothers, I mean, two incredible people, really, sort of thing. Wow. Uh, I, I don't know if they're still alive, I don't think oh, they are now. But um, Anyway, so having been in that world for about 15 years, a little yes. bit of a frustrated entrepreneur... Um, I was then caught up in the merger between SmithKline and GlaxoSmithKline, um, which then put everybody's careers on hold for about two years because there was a merger that took place and then there was the sorting out of, you know, amalgamations and and, and effectively everybody's careers got put on hold. Post-merger cleaning. Yeah. And at that point, I'd been in my, my, my role then about four years like like all you know anybody you, you you get frustrated if you're just after four years you want to be doing something else and I always remember it's a very very interesting story but some bright spark in the marketing department thought well what the company needs to cheer everybody up is trying to bring a little bit more sort of innovation and sort of uh, enthusiasm into the company so okay. they started organizing a number of sort of outside speakers to come in oh. and one of the outside speakers events that I attended was the 
um, a guy called Simon Woodruff, who was the founder of Yo Sushi. Okay. Now you'll remember he became one of the dragons, one of the original dragons and all these sorts of things. But anyway, he then told his story about how he founded Yo Sushi. And it's actually quite interesting because he started off life as I, a... I like them. I don't know if they've yet. Well, it's, they, it's still, they still exist. They, they still do. exist. I don't, really I don't like know. I, yeah, I don't know if they... Well, and they, they yeah, and they were basically the... Obviously, it was obviously a conveyor belt yeah. sushi restaurant. Yeah. They were the first in the UK. So how did that come about? Well, he was a roadie in the music industry and he was in Japan and he was right. in a sushi restaurant with conveyor belts and he thought oh this is pretty cool and then he thought how can how on earth could you know I start one of these up in the UK and he went on the internet back then or whatever and found you know a guide how to start your own conveyor belt sushi restaurant and then he just told his story about how he founded this startup and it was basically loads of blagging and loads of great tips for any startup so one of the things he said was that he 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 wrote off to um, Yamaha, I believe, and said to Yamaha, I'm starting a chain of restaurants and could I basically hire or could I look, look to purchase some of your little mopeds because we're going to use them to drive around the, the, the sushi. And of course, Yamaha thought, well, that's fine. Okay, well, you can use them for a weekend or something. What do you mean, you drive around the sushi? Well, you, you know, for just to get people who ordered sushi to, to get delivery at home and these sorts of things. Ah, right, in anyway, the streets, not in the shop. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, Yamaha, you know, thought nothing of it. You know, here's a few bikes for the weekend. But then, interestingly, he wrote off to all Nippon Airways and said, Yo Sushi, sponsored by Yamaha, We'd be looking for. Would you be interested in sponsoring, you know, our new sort of Japanese-themed restaurant in, in the UK? That's and I think nice. all Nippon Airways were well, if Yamaha are involved, we'll gladly sponsor you, sort of thing. And it was basically a story for about an hour and a half of all these sorts of wonderful anecdotes. What did he mean by sponsoring? Like investing in the paying, business? In pe- investing, okay. paying, marketing promotions, right. all sorts oh, of things. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And coming out of this then meeting. The whole idea was to put more innovation into the sales and marketing teams, but, but all it really spurred on was that all those people that were on the cusp of thinking, I've had enough of the big corporate world, I'd like to start my own company, literally just handed in their notices the next week. So, really? so I then handed in my... There, there, was an opportunity, like, there was an opportunity at the time to take a, a, you know, a good redundancy that scheme. sounds like a bit, a bit impulsive, though. It was very impulsive. A bit of a but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, but it was because... Basically, the whole, as I mentioned, the whole, everyone's careers were on hold for a couple of yeah. years. Um, there were options of, you know, good redundancy packages if you wanted to, you know, not okay. hang around. So basically, I was, I'd been in that world for 15 years. I'd always been a frustrated did you take the, did you take the deal? I, I, took, I took a nice redundancy package, and then I looked to start up my own um, Café Jouet proposition, really, yeah, which, I which I knew nothing about at the I was time. About to, I was about to ask. Uh, right. That's pretty ballsy, excuse my French. And so Café Jouet, because I didn't find any information on... on yeah, so... So what, what was the... What was the was that a, a restaurant? Yeah, so a, let me let me kind of explain. So, two years? So at the time, um, I had two very small children. They were probably... I was about to say, what did his wife say? They were... <laughs> they were going to take a package. Yeah, well, they, 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 were, they, were, they were about three and four, I think, <laughs> at the time. Um, uh, my, 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 my wife works for... TK Maxx, uh, you know, wonderful retailer. So she she was a full time job as well. So anyway, yeah. I, so I, I took a nice so redundant. Yeah, I had a I had a nice cushion of yeah, you know yeah. a, 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 a reasonable amount of time. So 
I, uh, we, as a, you know, as a, a, we were spending a lot of time in, basically, we always lived in London since university, um, and we took the small children, our small children, to these indoor play concepts. And the idea is that many people who've got, who've got kids out there... What, like a kindergarten? Well, they're, they're more than that. So this is a sort of, at a weekend and a birthday party type of thing, and uh-huh. basically they're typically like warehouses that the kids love because there's slides and ball pits and climbing apparatus and wonderful sort of things that they can go and immerse themselves in. Right. And then basically, at the time, in the market, there was then nothing for the parents other than really poor quality plastic chairs and, ter- yeah, and terrible, and terrible coffee. So my <laughs> concept, you know, having, you know, attended these places many, many times and seen the, you know, the real where joy... Where are they? Are they in the centre of London? Well, so this, this, was, this was what the opportunity was because basically I was going to these places that were in, you know, grotty warehouses you know, in <laughs> so London. And, but, yeah, but looking round, you could see there was a, an accountancy partner, there was a legal partner, there was... Among the parents? Yeah, exactly. There was very, very wealthy people, but funds. literally cringing on the plastic chairs. You bet. So my concept, Café Jouet, was basically to, to do exactly the same, but obviously more for the parents, so more of a paradise for parents. So it was an upmarket indoor play concept. Now, I knew nothing about writing a business plan. I knew nothing about raising finance. I knew nothing about starting a business. So I then embarked upon that whole journey with that concept in mind. And then about, I suppose, 18 months later, I'd secured £750,000 of investment. I got basically... Back in those days, you could get a small firm's loan, so there was a £150,000 unsecured loan. I got private investors and I got VC investment. But what became interesting was that... But hell, venture went on for two years, so... Well, no, let me... So, so, so the, the process lasted probably about 18 months. Okay. Uh, the reality was, unfortunately, my, my claim to fame is that I successfully raised three quarters million pounds, okay. but I returned the money. Because, ah, because the property became the, the greatest issue. And of this course. is... It's very expensive. Well, it's not only expensive, but for a startup with, with no, um, no track record yeah. in, in the industry... Uh, and no sort of credentials, it, I thought it would just be a case of, uh, well, I've got the money, here's the money in the bank, I can pay your rent. Yeah. But obviously, if you're a landlord, you'd prefer to have a tenant like Pizza Express, mm-hmm. who's been in business many, many years and has a strong covenant, rather than any other you know, startup company without any, any sort of covenant. And it was a, that was very interesting, learning about the, the, the commercial property market. Because so were you not able to secure a, well, uh, a lease? I, I secured many, poten- many potential properties, but what became interesting is once you then had multiple shareholders in terms of I had a VC involved, I had a lead private investor, mm-hmm. everybody had their say. And the reality is I had um, six months to secure the first premises and we couldn't agree on the right premises. And we were looking for mm-hmm. premises across London, but in very affluent areas. So things like sure. Richmond, you know, Highgate, Hampstead. You know, I, mean, I mean, the list is endless of the, of the sort of types of places, but it had to be, it had to be a property with, with leisure consent, which was hard to get, property with nearby parking, mm-hmm. which is hard to get, mm-hmm. property with 18-foot height, which is, which is hard to get, uh, and about... 
8,000 8, square um, feet in space as well. So the actual property side of things became a lot harder to achieve than the money. And I always thought raising the money would be the hardest thing. That's quite interesting because it shows that um, as a startup, perhaps you want to focus on gathering and developing your intangible assets rather than having uh, brick and mortar assets and intangible assets. So that's, that's quite yeah, interesting. And, and, and it wasn't looking about purchasing. Were you able to wipe, wipe the slate uh, uh, clean in terms of like returning the money? Yeah, yeah. So, so, not so, having to file for bank yeah, no, no, like that? Oh, no, so, yeah, so, so essentially I, I never drew, drew down the money. Okay. But one of my, Oof, one of my obviously co-founders uh, of investors was... Oliver Woolley uh, actually was one of my advisors to part of the the capital and Oliver and I I mean he gave me the idea he said look if if you don't successfully launch this business you know you and I now know more about starting businesses than the advice we'd ever received about raising finance I mean I had such poor quality advice about how to raise finance it was only really when when I met Oliver who had been you know an entrepreneur who'd started up his own business and successfully exited his business so his advice was very, very pertinent about raising equity finance. And then my advice, you know, having raised equity finance myself, we then realised that together we could bring to the market a very strong proposition, which was all about helping other early stage companies successfully raise equity finance. So the Café Jouet experience was a great way... It was a great way... A network of strong... Uh, Potential colleagues and advisors in well, and also it was. It, I had to go else. through that journey of starting up a business, successfully securing finance, mm-hmm. doing doing the whole thing for eighteen months to give me the credentials to help advise other companies. I mean, I, I learned more in those eighteen months than I did in the last fifteen years of working at big corporates. Oliver Woolley actually incorporated Investors London Limited in uh, April two thousand ten. And you became a director of a business in May 2010. Yeah, so we, we yeah, so we, we actually founded the business in two, August 2004 as a consultancy. Was, so it was it was ah, Investors was LLP. I see. So we started off. There were four of us that found the, the four original founders, um, and we ran it as a consultancy, yeah. as a li- limited liability partnership. Uh-huh. Um, and then in 2010. We, be, we, we switched to become a, a limited company. We actually sold the business in 2010 to uh, an AIM-listed uh, fund manager. How? Which of a consultancy business from the LLP? Well, we sold Investors Limited to an AIM-listed fund, fund manager. And then actually, for about two years, we were part of, the, which is the Braveheart Investment Group. Okay. Uh, PLC, okay. and then um, basically, about two years later, we decided to take the business independent again. So we we kind of extricated ourselves from that sale. So you as well. did a sort of management buy. buy we out did, yeah, we did a sale, then a sort of a buyout, basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I. Okay. Interesting. And, and so, so you've been you've been at investors for almost twenty years. Next yeah, year, yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty years anniversary exactly. Coming through. Exactly. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, indeed. and so um, so this is where you were able to leverage of his experience for Cafe Jouet in order to become a uh, a a full time advisor to yeah. entrepreneurs, yeah. startups, yeah. yes, who who wanted to. 
So what's the concept of investors in a nutshell? Yeah, so we started off life as a um, essentially a corporate finance advisory firm. We became regulated by the FSA back in 2005 and then obviously became the FCA. Mm-hmm. We built up our own private investor network and essentially our, our, you know, uh, our whole reason to exist was to help high growth early stage companies raise equity finance from our network of investors and we've, we've raised over 150 million for about 500 odd companies mm-hmm. and we've had... What, pro- since, since 2010? Since, since, since 2005 basically since and we've had about 26 very successful exits a, a, along the way. Can you name some? Uh, the biggest exit is in terms of probably managers, it was a company called Chargemaster. Okay. So they were electric vehicle recharging. They were one of the early pioneers into this market. We raised a total of um, 15 million pounds of equity into that business from for, from about um, 50 of our investors. And that business was sold to BP for about 130 million in about 2018. So that returned net profit to the investors of about um, 50 million. So that was a nice return. One of our other great kaching. Ka-ching one of but the probably the greater return, not monetary, but multiples was there's a company called Parking Eye, and they were automatic number plate recognition. Okay. We introduced the sort of seed capital of about two hundred and fifty thousand. That was then sold to Capita for um, fifty million, and the investors that put in fifty two hundred fifty thousand made seventy seven times their money, which is. Quite astronomical. Right. Nice to nice to have. Yeah. So I mean, yes, those are the successes. I suppose there are also mm. quite a lot of uh, startups trying yeah. to not succeed. But but um, all in all, do you do you think that this is a business which is which has a bright future ahead of? Well, you? so 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 that so that was okay? that was the core business that we did obviously for many years. In about two thousand and fourteen, we recognised the need to bring in technology to connect our investor base with our you know screened uh, client companies okay. we couldn't find that technology so we decided to build it ourselves and right at the start of creating our own investment platform yep. we incorporated the opportunity to license that opportunity or license that platform on a white label manner and for those platforms then if they wanted, the licensee wanted to, could be connected to other platforms. So we, right from the beginning, we were building a network of networks. So that, is, that, is that under the investors? That's under the investor. So the platform's called the Investry platform. Okay. Yep. And obviously investors has its own sort of platform, but then there are many other white label, you know, platforms using, using our technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I was actually seeing in your in your latest annual returns that you filed last year in March. No, sorry, so earlier this year in March. That um, yes, your uh, proprietary uh, uh, platform yeah. is actually valued. I think at sixty five grand. Right, uh, well, we've <laughs> it should be worth more than that. So we we've yeah. invested considerable valuation around sixty five grand. Yeah. Yes, yeah. internally generated software development costs. Well, just for the year. That's just, just for the just year. year. That, that's just for the, yeah. for the year. Yeah, I mean, we, we've, 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 we've invested sort of multiple millions of pounds right. in, 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 the in, into the platform. Yeah. And, and at that point, really, once we, once we started going down the route of 
creating software and licensing software. I guess we pivoted to become a um, fintech company ourselves. I see. But is it, is it successful? The yeah, no, it, it's successful. It's successful. And I guess what, okay. what, what that's moved on to, and this really then happened in 2019, is we then got involved with the uh, startup and innovator visas categories. And we became appointed by the Home Office as a dorsa for those for those visa categories. So essentially, we were assessing overseas nationals who wanted to bring innovative companies to the UK. We would we would assess, validate, and and endorse those businesses, and then mentor those businesses and land those businesses into the UK. And so you had like direct contact. You have direct contact with the Home Office. Yeah, 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 yeah. So to 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 facilitate the granting of visas. So yeah, so startup and innovative visas, and then. What became interesting is that. Do you that, still do this? Well, what became interesting is that we were then one of 45 companies that had that accreditation. Mm-hmm. The Home Office realised that that was far too unwieldy, having that many sort of numbers, and they and they then went oh. to a tender process of wanting to just appoint three okay. companies, and we went through the tender exercise, and we were appointed as one of the. Oh, uh, one of the organisations that has the contract with the Home Office for what's called now the Innovator. Three out of visa. 45. Three out of 45. That's and interestingly... Oh, so you asked, are you still doing it? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so this, started, this started in April 23. Um, and so any innovator, any, anybody wanting to start an innovative business under the Innovator route, you know, has to go through one of the endorsers. And there are only three and, and we're one of ours. What are the two others? The other two are a company called um, uh, Innovator International, and then there's a consortium called UKES, UKES. Wow. Um, I'm not surprised. The Home Office is pretty tough. Right? Yeah, but what was interesting is the Home Office wanted a cloud-based solution to okay. for applicants to apply to and for the Home Office to access the data in a secure, confidential way. So our platform was actually approved, it went through the Mercury Security Assessment, which is a six month painful exercise with the Home Office. Sort of ISO. Yeah, sort of all thing. of that kind of stuff. Assessment. And cyber essentials and things. And so, the, so, the, so our platform is then approved and we've uh-huh. adapted it for the Home Office use. So we're now... You must have made your software developers very rich yeah. indeed. So we, we get about 100 <laughs> applicants a month. And, oh wow, and from, it, from which part of the world? They are... Globally, obviously, um, I guess the big chunk of them comes from the India, Pakistan, Middle East, China. It's probably the, ma- the major. Asia. We've had a couple of French applicants, interestingly, well. and you can understand why. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too sure why anybody, you know, but they're all very attracted to come to the UK. Well, London is great. <laughs> when in my early twenties, I was so glad I would relocate to London. Coming back to the licensing business, yeah. though, um, I was wondering. So you said it was successful, yeah, uh, and you, your company was successful as a licensor. Would you please let us know some of the licensees that you guys have? Uh, there's people like um, um, Set Squared. There's what are they? The, well, they're a university sort of spin-out, so they're one of the. They, they, they have a number of the UK universities as sort of an, like an umbrella organisation and they're responsible for sort of spinning out technology from universities. And they have a collection of their own investors and they have lots of obviously these companies Wonderful. and technology and they need, a, they need a way of 
you know, essentially matching, you know, their propositions with investors like online. A, a sort of thing. broker, broker place. Yes, yeah, so it's place. a secure way, you know, it's not, this is not crowd uh, funding, it's just really a secure way of promoting investment propositions. You know, investors got to log in, they've got to, you know, be aware of the wealth, things like the wealth warnings and the risks. And then obviously all the, all the information is held confidential, confidentially. So there's, there's multiple layers of access and controls and so on, as you can imagine. So that's one of your, of your licensees? Yeah, and then there's, there's, there's many others, uh, you know, in the okay. similar sort of field, really. And um, so on um, investors.anniversary.com, there's also a section which relates to deals. Yeah. And what, so, so interesting now, so some of those, well, actually a lot of them, are from our licensees. So we now, as I mentioned, right. a licensee can, if they wish, connect to not only our investment platform, but potentially all the other investment platforms that we license. So there's a sharing of, of propositions, okay. and then there's a sort of a monetization, depending on, you know, success fees can be charged and shared wherever the money is introduced from. So this is the, um, the, the, the page which is called Deals yeah. is basically a, a, a list of, um, of potential investments that yeah, one potential investments that could, could invest into yeah. okay the, I see actually that the, 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 food, the food consumer food businesses are quite uh, prominent with well fruited and uh, okay yeah. yeah well that's probably because and what, what, yeah, what, we're, look, what we're looking at there is is, is uh, we have many different partners who are licensees, and they're sort of specialists in certain areas. Okay. I think that one is probably one of our from one of our partners who specialises in the food industry is why that's coming yeah. up. Okay. Something. Um, okay, and so so investors, just to make it very tangible for our listeners, mm -hmm. would go on the deals section of your website, yeah. and would say, okay, well today I feel like investing <laughs> through uh, on, on 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 this particular. Um, Company or startup, and uh, and um, let, let's apply. Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the reality is, I mean, obviously, most of your listeners will will know about the crowd funding space where you can invest, you know, as little as ten pounds online. I guess what this is the difference here is our investors and the investors of our licensee partners are all sophisticated, high net worth individuals. So typically, the minimum investment is probably ten thousand pounds. Yeah. With our investor base, it's twenty-five thousand pounds. So the, the the purpose of the the platform is really the the marketing and the access to all of the information, and then obviously we would facilitate, we'd recommend, you know, a potential investor to meet the company, you know, to engage in Q and A, which they can they can do online. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and then so typically most investment actually probably then happens offline rather than through the platform. But in terms of the formal pledging and the access to all, all the information, it's all online. the data, it's all held online. online. And so these investors, they probably do this for tax reasons to lower their so, tax liabilities, right? So, yeah, what you're referring to there is the Enterprise Investment Scheme, EIS, which is obviously EIS, a fantastic right. UK tax which break. Which I think has been rolled over by the, um, uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer in this last year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably the best tax break of its yeah. kind in Europe sort of thing. So, right. um, you know, so... Um, so pretty much all UK, all of our UK companies, mm -hmm. you know, would qualify for EIS and there's SEIS before that. So that's yeah. a level before which okay. we can get. So it's, it's not a reason to invest, but it's a reason to not invest if, if, if the company 
hasn't secured EIS really because it's obviously a right. tremendous tax break exactly which we could go on go on into but uh, maybe that's for another podcast and another so your investors um, sort of I don't know if you can call it clientele but at least um, group uh, do, is there a particular profile for them or yeah so like a, uh, yeah, a city yeah, chap or yeah, well or there's a, there's probably four types so there 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 are the um, um, city uh, um, Bankers. boys and girls who have probably got the bonuses and are looking to yeah, so have a little bit of play money well, to an extent the and through EIS. Has just been removed this year as well by the, by the, the yeah. government. So, you know, that, I mean, that, I mean, in fairness, that is a very active source of capital and yeah. has been. Then there's this... Probably the, looking for the tax breaks, those, those guys. Yeah, no, that's so, solely looking for tax breaks. <laughs> then there are the, um, I guess, the sort of the retired senior executives right. who, you know, have access to capital. Yeah. This possibly is a little bit, again, play capital. It's capital they can afford to lose, but it's capital they probably enthuse the most about. They like talking to their mates on the golf course, enthusing on, you know, around the table with friends at a dinner party. But also, I think they keep a, a foot into the industry, so to yeah, speak. So yeah, so possibly they might become non-execs, yeah. uh, they might become advisors. So they're, you know, that's a really nice investor. Okay. Then there's the sold-out entrepreneurs. Now, right. these probably are the... Uh, you know the number one type of investors like to secure the, because the likes of James Dyson and stuff. Yeah, because they you know they're proven know how to start, build, and exit a company, yeah. and they just love the cut and thrust, and they like to be you know just actively involved advising. And then I guess there's probably smaller ticket uh, investors that might be looking for jobs, so a little bit more about what? sort of a job. So so they might be saying, okay. well, I'll, well, I'll invest if I can become a non-exec. Sort of thing. So I'll invest well, in your finance. It, it, because non-exec is a, is a, is a remunerated function. Uh, well, it can be. Sometimes it's not sort of thing. But you know, typically there, there might be a lot of say ex-finance people that might be saying, well, you know, I can see you're weak on the finance area. I'll invest some money, but I'm looking for a, a job at the same time. So, you know, well, as a finance. As yeah, as a sort of CFO, man- manager yeah, of yeah, your company. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't aware of that yeah, yeah, type of. Yeah. Uh, but um, so I guess there, there you know, the three or four types mm-hmm. of investors. We also have family offices, which is which is really good. I mean, family offices, really? you know, there are less in numbers. We've probably got about so eighty of those. So it would be like those. a fifth. fifth uh, uh, yeah, I mean, they're much harder to sort of you know to nail down, but mm. essentially fantastic source. Are there many family offices in, in the UK? Nowadays, they're probably. I mean, within our network, it's probably about one hundred and fifty something like that. I suppose. So they just manage trust funds for very. Rich it could, people. Well, it could be that very wealthy individuals, yeah. and then they've obviously got people to deploy their wealth. But but what, are we looking uh, at the uh, uh, Russian oligarchs here? Are we looking at the? Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That's the answer I was expecting. Uh, like uh, all blood, uh, all the money, British. Uh, no, it, 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 again, it, it really does vary. Okay. There could be again sold out entrepreneurs uh, okay. who just employ you know small mm. team of people to deploy wealth. There could be more established, long established family family wealth. Right. And of course, their appetites you know vary. Uh, sometimes they are very enthused by very early stage. 
But interestingly, do you know that the pension funds, the U.S. pension funds, they have a portion of a uh, uh, asset that they allocate to um, to VC invest investing, really? which I think okay. is powerful. Yeah, yeah, in the yeah. US. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. a yeah. lot of universities. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. They have all these funds, yeah. Uh, yeah, university funds and pension funds. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I don't think that uh, yeah, a, a European. Uh, pension funds and uh, no. <laughs> university the problem, funds are that the, risk, yeah, yeah. risk takers. The problem that we've seen in the UK is that the, the, the VCs are no longer about risk. The really? vast majority of them will invest if you've got a million pounds but, of recurring but, revenue. But there are some startups that fail, something like 90%. Well, I know, but and this is why the private investors, the business angels investors, are the ones that take the risk. Oh, really? So the it early, is, early yeah, I mean, it is very, very hard for an early stage company to secure VC investment. I mean, you'll be offered investment when you don't actually need the, the money because you're then, you know, profitable, basically. What, what's the expression? Family, friends and fools? Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, exactly, but, but, you know, these... Well, the what I can tell you is that I've been, uh, I set up my law firm 12 years ago, and it was all bootstrapping. Well, that is the best it's way. In Paris and London, Absolutely. you know, working on the business, yeah. my yeah. ass off, and yeah. uh, day in, day out. Yeah. That's all I did. This yeah. is, that's exactly so the I attitude. So I shares, yeah. and like, I'm like, it's also in control. Um, yeah, but it's tough. I think, like... Yeah. 99% of the people would never do it. Well, that's, <laughs> but, but, but you have to <laughs> do most, it. most people. You have to do it. And you have to, I mean, I always tell a story. We had a, an entrepreneur. No, because also another thing that, as I said, I used to be a banking and finance lawyer. Right. And then I turned into a, becoming an advisor for the creative industry. So I had to completely uh, develop the network of, of clients yeah. from scratch, right? So at the beginning, I was yeah. like attending all, uh, yeah. all, all, the, all the basic trade shows in all yeah. the music industry, film industry. Like, I'm still doing that, of course, post-COVID. But um, it was a matter of life and death to actually develop yeah. a network. No, it anyway. is. And, and you have to, you know, it's this, you know, sort of sweat equity and so on. So, yeah. So uh, after 19 years developing uh, uh, Investors Limited yeah. to its full potential through yeah. the... Um, Corporate finance advisory. Yeah. The, uh, well, uh, not necessarily the full potential. We've still got a long way to go. Uh, I was about to say, and now you mentioned. Sorry, there was something you mentioned. Well, so the, uh, so 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 we're now we've secured this contract with the Home Office. Which that's is a, right. Yes. The know, visas. Yeah. Uh, what what's 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 the next? I mean, firstly, are you happy with your, what you've achieved? Yeah. I probably. saw that Simon Woolley, Woolley has actually just sort of re, re, withdrew from the business. Is he is he still involved or is no? Oliver just... Oliver Woolley is still very much involved. Sorry, Oliver. Yes. Oliver still very much involved okay. as um so so oliver and i you know uh are the two founders that are still involved yes. oliver's ceo and i'm coo oh, sort of thing apologies. um no oliver's still very much in, involved okay. i mean we're now looking i guess we you know we've been doing this a long time um we are looking to really to build upon the fact that uh, you know our biggest i think um feather in the cap is the is securing the home office contract for our with use, utilize what, our what platform. What did you say? The feather in the cap. Feather in the cap. It's a lovely expression. Uh, Very British it. expression. I'll, I'll go to sleep much, uh, much more intelligent tonight. <laughs> feather in the cap. Feather in the cap. Is it because because of the well, obvious? Um, it, uh, I mean, to build. Process? Yeah, I mean, the, the tender process was a thousand pages. I mean, it was it was like we were tendering to build a warship. Goodness. 
Um, and you know, and quite rightly so, really. And we, you know, completely threw ourselves into it and secured it. But it, but it was more the fact that um, we're wow. so pleased that our platform has been, you know, home office approved, approved and went through what's called Mercury Security Assessment, yes. which is six months of complete pain, <laughs> but you know, for the right reasons. And I think we're looking, we're looking for gl- other global markets to take a lead from Britain in that. You know, so um, we're looking to sort of globalise our services and s- software offerings. So you want to do some sort of scaling up? Yeah. Lovely. And so you, you still get excited? I'm by, very excited. By, very... By, by, you know, yeah. uh, uh, and, um, interacting with your team, with all your... Yeah, we have a fantastic team, a lot of, you know, young graduates. And we're delighted that, going back to my time of... You know, my path was on the multinational career. I mean, I'm thrilled to pieces that investment managers. Your team uh, yeah, they're called. Uh, they start off as investment executives and then okay. investment managers, but you know, we we have a number of two or three out of uh, Oxford and Cambridge and good. other good quality universities. Hopefully, we'll get one out of Aberystwyth again soon. Uh, but um, so no, we've got a great do, team. What do they work in tell as investment managers exactly? So um, we have a, a, a growing team that's responsible for the visa side of the, of the company. Oh, okay. So essentially, they are they are assessing innovator visa applications. So assessing against the criteria of is this business innovative, viable, and scalable? Guys from India, Pakistan, China, yeah. and some, yeah. some from yeah. the And then going from through <laughs> two from France. Uh, so going through the whole, you know, it's a sort of four week kind of screening process. And then if those businesses are then, uh, if they secure visas, if we issue endorsement, they secure visas, we then have a duty to monitor and to report on those businesses and then also we can provide ancillary sort of an optional uh, advice guidance mentoring so okay. the, so the team are very much account managing applications through to grant a visa yeah. and then basically through to establishing a business in the UK okay. we have um, 50 service partners who we can introduce businesses to to so that's banks accountants lawyers a uh, whole host of organisations, we, we including yourselves. Yeah, we a, yeah, we're, we're delighted to have you on board. Thank Michael. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, although at the moment I haven't, uh, <laughs> I haven't worked Too busy podcasting. Uh, no, actually, um, I was contacted by one of your investment managers, Joel. Joel, yeah. Uh, senior investment manager. But yeah. um, the lady was uh, from Nigeria was not so interested in uh, spending money on finding a patent. So uh, oh, right. her choice. Okay. Um, okay, and so what, for example, does um, Michael do as a deal origination lead? Yeah, so so Mike is is responsible. He's he, very nice, actually. Yeah, yeah like so he, so he's actually sort of wearing two hats. He, so he's still responsible for, you know, th- th- this was perhaps the older part of the business, which is companies coming to us looking solely just to raise equity finance. Right. So we'll still we'll still take on some of those companies, but also he's he he's now involved in growing our service partners so it, yeah. he's sort of basically head of partnerships yeah I, he said he was very involved as well in, in, in developing the uh, proprietary platform yeah the platform yeah. selling the platform and also then building the, the community and we have a, an additional community platform for all of our entrepreneurs how's that going that's going great guns yeah. I mean we, we as I say we, we, we have about 50 odd clients new Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there's a hundred, between 80 and 100 each month, and then our track record at the moment has probably been able to issue endorsement for between 40% of those, I suppose. 
So, so sorry, so what does it mean? In, so where is it, for example, on the website that you can see? This? Well, you, this, so, so I'm talking about the visa um, oh, okay. endorsement. So we do have, see, a, we have a separate visa endorsement okay. platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the platform you're looking at there is our sort of standard, sort of if you're a UK company looking to... So that's investors.investry.com. Yeah. So if you're a UK company looking to raise equity finance, you can come onto our platform. And which then. one is the other one for the visa? The other is visa endorsement uh, investors. Yeah, the investors visa endorsement or investors hyphen visa hyphen endorsement dot co uk. So this is the platform. This is where you're seeing the growth. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 this is what this is this is what the Home Office utilise. They okay. all they all have access. And this is if you're an innovative, you know, entrepreneur looking to, you know, come to the UK under the innovative visa and also if you're a scale-up or a potential scale-up in the UK and you want to employ overseas nationals we have the we have the right to oh, yes. assess your business endorse your business and that means your business can employ overseas nationals so oh, yeah. and this is where the French blokes have to do that because with Brexit now they have to apply exactly to yeah so that's Gosh. what any, any European who yeah. wasn't here before any you know before Brexit yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. would would have to come under the one of these sort of visa routes yeah I, Great. So, and you see, you think this is where the growth is? In well, I think it, it really plays to our strengths of, of you know, Good. of obviously con considerable expertise about advising early stage companies on how to establish and grow in the UK, particularly okay. raising finance. Then there's the layer onto that, the investment platform sort of expertise, the fact that it's then, it's then been approved for use by the Home Office. Stage when they are so we're looking to sort of sell uh, technology and services you're doing the whole supply to chain. Other, other, other countries around the world who what, have like similar visa immigration oh you know, the other platform the, the visa platform as well well to, to other to, you know to other countries who are Good looking to do similar sort of thing really because right. this is probably leading technology in the world really there's um, this great podcast that I've listened to thrice actually because <laughs> I wanted to be up to up to uh, <laughs> the job um, from the FT which is why companies don't want to list in the UK anymore yeah and um, which in a nutshell says that in the aftermath of discovering that uh, Robert Maxwell had um, uh, plowed the funds of the pension uh, funds of his companies his media conglomerates in order to actually inflate the, the, the price of its stock uh, of its shares um, accounting rules change in the UK uh, around 10 years or 15 years ago and therefore that was one of the reasons why the UK stock exchange become, became much less attractive to, um, to companies and now a lot of them are just listing in the US, no, no, no questions asked. So how is that, do you think, how is that impacting your, your, your business because you are doing all the groundwork to prepare yeah. all these these seeds and then startups yeah. and then SMEs to, to get to scale and then when they are ready to do like the big thing and also rip off the benefit then bang they go for end of a listing in the US and on the NASDAQ when the no, no. What, what they tend to do is to you know they exit via trade sale rather than listings so the reason why to, to private equity funds to, or to just other uh, large corporates. Uh, so, so, for example, uh, you know, uh, go back, you know, Chargemaster. Charge Master were, were going to list, mm -hmm. 
and they were they were going through the whole broker exercise of listing. Um, they then had an offer on the table of 138 million or something. They decided to take that there and then sort of thing. I think the reality about about listing <laughs> exactly who wouldn't the reality about listing is most private investors wouldn't take the uh, you know in a, if they saw a business plan and we talked about the exit is going to be by listing they wouldn't take that seriously unless the founders of the company had had previous listing experience because it is a very complex area uh, nobody quite knows how to do it and obviously if you list on AIM you don't quite know whether that's going to be liquid where you can sell your shares exactly Whereas, that's exactly what it says in this podcast exactly that, so that, that, that basically the companies which are listed in the UK at the moment are not very attractive no, not sexy no, it's like no. mining stuff I, I mean I would insurance I, I and would, banking I, but the excitement is in the my US. advice to all entrepreneurs starting businesses wouldn't be to necessarily look at you know stock market listings yeah. unless you can surround yourself with a chairman and a, and a non-executive team mm-hmm. who have listed. But uh, it, it, it's, this, is, this is definitely a route if you are. If oh, your no, startup it, is based it, in the US and well, you know, in the Silicon yeah, Valley. I mean, it, I mean it, it certainly is a route and obviously yeah, there are many examples of, yeah, no, they're yeah. phenomenal. But, exactly. but the more obvious and the more sort of viable route and the mm-hmm. one that if you're trying to secure money on the basis of that's my potential exit that investors will believe the most is trade sales. Trade sales. Like acquisitions, acquisitions, and acquisitions. exactly, okay. exactly. Uh, that will give more comfort to when you're earlier stage. But clearly, if you know what you're doing, if you have listed before, you believe the business has the potential to list, and it's a liquid sort of stock market where you know then your shareholders can sell sell shares. Then obviously it, it makes sense. But actually, I, I must uh, thanks. It's 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 a it's an it's an interesting perspective because I must I must say what they say in this FT podcast. I've also noticed it in my uh, portfolio yeah. of, of shares, which all my shares based in the UK um, since I'd say three or four years ago of the COVID crisis. They're still not recovered. No, exactly. <laughs> and so I can't exactly. sell them because no, I'm exactly. really a massive exactly. uh, capital loss. But and, and, exactly. and it's still not recovering. So yeah. while shares which are listed, of course, in the US or are in continental Europe, are, have somehow much uh, uh, recovered much better. So um, yeah, it seems to be okay. Great. Well, that's that's all for my questions, really. Good. Well, We've hopefully, 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 the talks. readers, the listeners. The, vo- the, the viewers, which there aren't any, have enjoyed the conversation, which has been thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you, likewise. As you might have guessed, I had a great time speaking with Scott. He is a very entertaining and also dynamic person with a dry sense of humour, which is a typical British sense of humour, which I really like. So... This is it from us at Crefovi. Do leave a review or like us on um, YouTube, on uh, uh, various social media apps, uh, tweet about us, and um, uh, also uh, you know rate us on LinkedIn and stuff. And um, yeah, I'll see you at a next show or live webinar. It was a pleasure. Bye, everyone.